0: helpful. Thank you all. (laughs) We're continuing along in our sermon series from the book of Esther this morning. We're going to do one more from the Old Testament this week, and then we're going to head into the New Testament starting next week. If you don't have your own scripture, we invite you to take one of ours. We have several over here on on a cart that you're welcome to. If you know someone that doesn't have one, you can take one of those to your friends and neighbors as well. We're in Esther chapter 4 this morning. I invite you to turn and look at that. Esther chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 17. Listen to these words. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasure, treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned the king has but one law, that they will be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives." But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So from the very time that I can remember, I have been a person who absolutely loves to read, and I especially love novels. And it doesn't really make any difference to me what kind they are, what genre they come from. I enjoy them. Mysteries are the kind of stories that stimulate our minds to look for clues as we're reading along. Historical fiction, it helps us to long for yesteryear the way things used to be but are no longer like that. And of course, science fiction, it takes us across the galaxy into new worlds, and we meet alien beings. And then there's one more kind that I really like, and that's fantasy. Fantasy fiction, it transports us into a whole other world. It's usually a world that's filled with all kinds of things, like magic and dragons. It's filled with elves and wizards and kings. And many times it pits good against evil, and a lot of times what we discover is that things really are not everything they seem to be. So one of my very favorite fantasy stories is one that became extremely popular in the early 2000s. Now, I actually had read this series of books long before the movie came out and became part of our popular culture. Betoken's The Lord of the Rings, it's this fantasy story that intrigues people as they read it. It's a story about a lost ring. But it's not just any old lost ring. It's a lost ring of power that it has the power to do all kinds of things like control people and destroy people. And so this king must, or this ring, it must be destroyed before it can be used by the evil person of the story. Well, the task of destroying the ring has fallen to the least likely hero there is in all of Middle Earth. It's a hobbit. A hobbit by the name of Frodo. Now, you see, hobbits, they don't generally like adventure. They prefer to stay home. They prefer to garden and to cook and most especially to eat. And I have about decided that I am a hobbit. (laughs) (laughs) And Frodo, he's not really any different than any of the other hobbits are in that respect. But you see, there's a problem here. And the problem is that his Uncle Bilbo has left him everything. He's Uncle Bilbo's heir and so he receives this ring when Bilbo decides he's going to leave. He leaves everything to Frodo, and then he just suddenly disappears. So Frodo, he becomes what is known as the ring bearer. Once it's discovered what, kind of, what this ring can actually do, it becomes his duty to bear, to, ring, to take this ring out. And it's only his duty because he's the ring bearer. He has to take it back and destroy it. So as you can imagine, this is where the story gets good. The task is strenuous and it's dangerous. It's not the kind of task anyone in their right mind, most especially a hobbit, would ever want to do. And yet here he is in the middle of this menacing adventure, wishing with all he is that he could just go back to the shire. So he confides in his wizard friend Gandalf. And he tells him, I don't want to do this, Gandalf. Gandalf. So I want us to listen. I have a clip here. I want us to listen to what Gandalf tells to Frodo when Frodo is ready to give up.
1: Gollum. Gollum? He's been following us for three days. He escaped the dungeons of Barad-Dur. Escaped. Or was set loose. And now the ring has drawn him near. He will never be rid of his need for it. He hates and loves the ring. As he hates and loves himself. Smeagol's life. Sad story. Yes, Spiegel, he was once called. Before the ring found him. Before it drove him mad. It's a pity Bilbo didn't kill him when he had the chance. Pity? It was pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. Many that live deserve death. And some that die deserve life. not be too eager to deal on death and judgment. Mm. Even the very wise consume ends. My heart tells me that Gollum has some part to play yet, for good or ill, before this is over. The pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of men. It happened. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are other forces at work in this world, Frodo, besides the will evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring, in which case you also were meant to have it, and that doesn't an encourage you.
0: So could you hear what Gandalf said there? All we have to do is to decide what to do with the time that has been given to us. Bilbo was meant to find the ring, in which case you were meant to have it. You see, Gandalf in his wisdom, he he had to redirect Frodo here at this important junction of the story. He needed to redirect Frodo to follow the pathway that was sitting right here in front of him. Now, in Muleshoe, we say that Frodo needed a swift kick in the pants. And sometimes we all need a swift kick in the pants, don't we? We need someone who actually loves us enough to remind us of who we are. We need someone to remind us of what it is we need to be doing, what we have been called to do. We, we need them to help us to get back on track. And that's exactly what happens with today's unlikely hero here in Esther. So when we first meet Esther, she's living with her cousin Mordecai. Mordecai has taken Esther in when she was very young because her own parents had died. And much like Daniel, Mordecai and his family, they were Jewish people living in exile under a foreign king in the nation or the empire of Persia. And so the author of our story, he he describes her as as having a beautiful figure, and and she was lovely to look at, and that's where Esther and I have a lot in common, Right? (laughs) But when you read more about Esther, you you discover something here. You you discover that she's actually somewhat timid, and she's pretty much the kind of person that does everything that she's told to do. And so as Esther's story unfolds before us, there's a single sentence that, that stands out if we're paying careful attention. We're told that Esther kept winning favor. She's winning the favor of everyone who saw her. Well, it just so happened that the Persian king Xerxes, he was looking for a new wife. His old one had irritated him to the point that he banished her. Husbands, I don't recommend you do that after today's sermon. That's not what this is about. Well, So partly because of Esther's good looks, but mostly because of divine intervention, Esther, she, she was actually chosen to be this new queen of the Persians. Now, you'd think that as queen, all of your problems would suddenly disappear. All of your worries would dissipate. THAT YOUR DAYS WOULD BE FILLED WITH ALL KINDS OF WONDERFUL THINGS LIKE GOOD FOOD AND FINE WINE and, AND LITTLE RESPONSIBILITY. AND MOST IMPORTANTLY, YOU WOULD ALWAYS GET TO TAKE THE NAP, RIGHT? AND ALL OF THIS MIGHT HAVE BEEN TRUE FOR ESTHER, EXCEPT FOR A MAN BY THE NAME OF HAMAN. HAMAN HATED THE JEWS. AND HE MOST ESPECIALLY HATED ESTHER'S COUSIN, MORDECAI. AND SO HE COMES UP WITH AN ELABORATE SCHEME And he convinces King Xerxes that all the Jewish people across the entire empire, they must be put to death. And Haman came up with a very simple plan on a single day. On the 13th day of the 12th month, every citizen across the entire empire was ordered by the king at the request of Haman to wipe out and destroy all the Jews, both young and old, even the women and the children. That Order 66 is what prompts today's unlikely hero to spring into action. When Mordecai finds out that his people are about to be decimated, he responds by going out and he tears his clothes off. And he goes to the fire pit and he grabs the ashes and dumps them all over his head. And he begins to go out into the streets just wailing as loudly as he possibly can. Now, typically, these were the activities that the Jewish people in the ancient world would do when they were mourning the death of a loved one. But every so often in Scripture, we we see that other people do this. Other people, like those in Nineveh, when Jonah gave them the bad news, the whole point of these people doing this is they were desperate to show to try to get God's attention, to, to turn away the divine wrath that's coming. And so that's what Mordecai is doing here. Well, Esther hears about it in the palace. And when she hears what Mordecai's doing, she's absolutely beside herself. She's so overcome with emotion that she writhes in anguish over this issue. And so she does the only logical thing that any queen in this exact situation would do. She goes shopping, church. (laughs) She goes shopping, and she buys Mordecai new clothes, and she sends them to him. And she says, here, Mordecai, wear this. And he refuses. And Esther doesn't know what to do next. And so she asks him, what's wrong with you? Why are you behaving this way? No one in our family is dead. And so why are you carrying on like a daggum lunatic? And that's when the truth finally comes out. Mordecai sends this deadly proclamation he has back to Esther. And he tells her, we're all going to die here unless unless you, Esther, as queen, go into the king and ask him to stop this insanity. But you see, there's a problem with this plan. The rule across the kingdom is that no one, not even the queen, no one can enter into the king's presence unless they've been summoned by the king. And if you go in without being summoned, the king has a choice. He, he can either extend that golden scepter to you and you come in and talk to him, or he doesn't. And if he doesn't extend his scepter, then you die. So Esther tells Mordecai, the king hasn't requested to see me in over a month. It's been over 30 days. I am not putting my neck on the line for you. Y'all are on your own, Mordecai. And that's when Mordecai has to knock some sense into her. He has to remind her where she came from. He has to remind her who she actually is. Maybe being a queen has made her too big for her britches. Or maybe she's just scared and she's letting fear get in the way of her good sense of helping her people. But either way, she needs her own swift kick in the pants to get her back on track. Don't you think for one minute, unlike the other Jews, that you'll be out of, let out of this thing alive simply because you're living in the palace. In fact, if you don't speak up at this very important time, relief and rescue is going to come from somewhere. The Jews are going to be saved, but your family and you will die. But who knows, Esther? Maybe it was for a moment like this that you came to be part of the royal family. So, hearing those words probably shocked Esther a little bit. After all, she has been queen, and as queen, no one has ever spoken to her like this. Mordecai doesn't bother to mince words. He doesn't sugarcoat them, and he most certainly doesn't try to be nice in this situation. He comes right out, and he says exactly the words that need to be said. So, the ball's in Esther's court. She has to make a decision. She can either try to hide her Jewishness from her husband and hope that she lives, or she can embrace who she is. She can embrace who God is calling her to be at this exact moment and live up to that calling so that others can actually be saved. And her decision reveals that she, too, is an unlikely hero. When we read this, we see this immediate transformation take place in Esther. Up until this very moment, Esther has always done exactly what she had been told. She's followed all the rules. She obeys all the laws and did what was expected of her. But you see, Mordecai's words, they they light a fire within the very deepest part of who she is, the very essence of Esther. And now instead of taking orders and being this subservient person, she begins to issue the orders. She takes command and she executes a plan of her own creation. And in so doing she does indeed save her Jewish people. She saves them from the imminent death they're facing. Now the thing is Esther's story it probably hits pretty close to home for some of us because throughout our lives we're all faced with decisions. Decisions that we'd prefer not to have to make. And in my experience a lot of situations arise in our lives Situations we didn't create. It's not our fault. We didn't do this, but now we have an issue. We have a problem, and we don't want to be a part of that. And yet, for whatever reason, we find ourselves in the middle of this situation, and not only in the middle of it, but actually able, capable of taking action on behalf of someone else. We actually have the authority and the power to do something about it. But if we do, there's consequences. And those consequences can very likely harm us. Those consequences might even harm our family. Now, Esther's consequence was dire, it would have meant her own death. And I don't think most of us are in that situation. Most of us don't have to worry about getting killed if we make the wrong decision, but making a decision could just be just as consequential, just as devastating. Perhaps if we intervene, we'll lose our jobs. Or maybe if we step in and do something, our family could actually be torn completely apart. Or what if we do something about this and we step in and at the end of it we're embarrassed? And we're so embarrassed that we can never show our faces around town again. We gotta move out of town. And so it's all those situations, church, it's very difficult. It can be difficult to overcome our own self-centeredness and to make these decisions where we're truly discerning God's call at these junctures of life. So Mordecai, he gave Esther a kick in the pants, but he didn't know what was gonna happen, did he? He didn't know if Esther could help or not. He, he uses words like perhaps and who knows because the situation is far from being certain. But you see, he's convinced of a couple of things when he talks to her. He's convinced that the Jews would find help, that somebody would step up somewhere and do something about it. His faith in God was strong enough to know that the Jewish people had not been completely forsaken, that he was still with them. And secondly, he knew that if she did not act, their entire family would be killed. He knew that she would be held, responsible, be held responsible for her own cowardice. So the thing is, church, God's activity here on earth, his divine providence in all kinds of situations we find ourselves in, it's just as real today as it was back in Esther's day. Esther's call was to bring salvation to her people. And the thing is, our calling is the same thing, isn't it? We are called to bring salvation to others. The salvation offered through Jesus that we all enjoy. And so the challenge is to find the courage is to find the faith to do what's right, even when there's a whole lot of these who-knowses and those perhapses hanging around, haunting our minds. After all, who knows? Just perhaps Esther's example may be just the courage someone here this morning needs to reach out beyond ourselves and to bring salvation into the lives of someone around us. Because you see, just like with Frodo and with Esther... Maybe we're in a position to do something in the name of Jesus Christ. And as such, we too have to decide what to do with the time that has been given to us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, may the grace and peace of Jesus rest on your hearts. Amen.